Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. In John chapter 4, starting in verse 46, we read, So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judah to Galilee. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. We ask that you might speak to us this morning from your word. We ask that you might challenge us. We ask that you might encourage us. We ask that you might line our hearts and our minds and our lives up with your truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a long, desperate, uphill walk that started in the dark. That's what that official faced. Now, a few details here. We don't know exactly what the identity of this official mentioned in John 4 is. Was he Jewish or was he Roman? We don't know. We do know that that term that he's used, official, is a word that literally means little king. And in the common usage of that term during the day, that word indicated he was probably a a royal official connected to a royal house. Most likely, he was connected to King Herod's court. King Herod was not a beloved king there in the region. And he might have been living there in Capernaum, this official on some sort of official business or in official capacity, maybe dealing with finances or maybe dealing with administrating. We don't know. But we know that most likely he was connected in some shape, form, or fashion to the royal court. We know that it was a long walk. We know that it was a desperate walk because we understand that this official son was sick with a fever and was at the point of death. It was a long walk because that official, the Bible tells us, came from the city of Capernaum, a city on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, a city where Jesus would later set up his home base of operations. And Capernaum is 1,400 and, I'm sorry, Capernaum is 700 feet below sea level. 
Cana is 1,440 feet above sea level. And so this walk this official takes is an uphill walk from, a le- from an area 700 feet below sea level to an area 1,440 feet above sea level going from Capernaum to Cana. It's about a 16-mile trip if you just take a straight shot, but it was probably more around 20 miles, 25 miles during this time. So that official would have had a, at least a seven-and-a-half to eight-hour walk ahead of himself. And if you look at when Jesus heals the boy, if the official had arrived very shortly before the healing took place, it was around the seventh hour, it says. It was one PM. So that means that official probably left at first light or just before. It was a long, desperate uphill walk that started in the dark. And how many of us have that same walk, right? We've all walked those long, desperate uphill walks that start in the dark. And we need then, when we face those walks, exactly what this official needed from Jesus. We needed to hear his word. Well, many of us have walked and said, Jesus, I need you to, I need you to fix this. Jesus, I need you to fix that. Jesus, I, I got a problem that needs to be remedied. And this official does just that. I've got, a, I've got a sick son. But notice this exchange between this official and Jesus. Because between this exchange, we find that Jesus is giving this official an opportunity to take him at his word. To take Christ at his word. And when we understand the nature of the word of Christ, we'll take him at his word as well. At least we should, because all evidence shows that's the smart and the right thing to do. So let's look at this together for just a moment. The word of Christ we find in this passage is sufficient. So we believe it. This official, after making this this walk... He arrives in Cana. Now, Jesus had arrived in Cana just a little bit earlier. If you look back in verse 44 or 43, it says, After the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Jesus was at the Feast of the Passover. It's important to understand that these two first miracles that John records, they form a sort of book-ended section of his work. There's the miracle that we looked at last week, the wedding at Cana. And now there's this miracle of healing this nobleman's son, this official's son. And between those two, you find some things taking place. You find that Jesus, after the wedding at Cana, he went down to Jerusalem. He cleanses the temple. We find that when Jesus goes down to Jerusalem, according to the Bible, he does some more signs. Now, I know we might get a little panicked at that. When we look down at John 4, 54, it says, now, this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. What about these other signs? Well, John records later on, over in the latter part of the book of John, that Jesus did many signs. John's just highlighting seven of them. There's just seven that John is choosing to highlight and underline for us. So he's saying that this second sign we're looking at this morning is the second sign 
he did in Cana. The first being changing water into wine. It doesn't mean that's the only sign that he's done. That's the second sign that he's done altogether. Because we find that when he went down to Jerusalem, he was doing more signs there at the Feast of Passover. And Jews were believing. But notice, he gets back, he gets back to Galilee, and he's testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Jesus is saying, no one is special in his stomping ground. And Jesus shows up, and he's a hometown hero, so to speak. And they've gotten so comfortable with Jesus that they want to see some signs and miracles and wonders. That's what they want to look forward to. They're not looking at Jesus' word. They want to see him do more of the same stuff that they, he did at the feast because they had been at the feast. And now he comes home. There he is. There's our miracle worker. Oh, we can't wait till you do a miracle, Jesus. Jesus says a prophet doesn't have any honor in his hometown. It has to come back to his word. It has to come back to his word. What else happens in that in-between time between the first miracle and second miracle? Well, we find John chapter 3 in that in-between time. He meets with a man called Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Jewish leader, a, Jew, a Jewish uh, expert. And he meets with this religious leader. And Jesus begins to talk to him about what it means to be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can this be? And Jesus in John chapter 3 verse 11 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus is taking Nicodemus back to his word. Trust my word, Nicodemus. Trust my word. My word is sufficient. Trust it. Trust what I'm saying. John reaffirms this very idea later on in John 3. John 3, 31. He who comes down from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven, he who comes from heaven is above all. He's got all authority. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. John is reaffirming what Jesus is teaching. My testimony is true. Trust my word. My word is absolutely sufficient. And there's an interesting contrast that John lays out. Between the Galileans who were saying, we want a sign, we want a miracle, we want a wonder. That's what it's going to take for us to believe. Just before Jesus comes back to Cana, just before this miracle, Jesus has gone to the land of Samaria. A land that the Jews believed were, or Jews considered to be inhabited by a bunch of half-breeds. They were half-Jewish, they were half-pagan ancestry. And they didn't want to have anything to do with them. And Jesus goes through Samaria. He meets a Samaritan woman at a well. And he speaks to her. She's amazed. The disciples are amazed. He is breaking all sorts of social norms and conventions by speaking to her. And Jesus begins to talk to her about he is the Messiah. He's the one they've been waiting on. So she goes and she tells the townspeople, you've got to, you've got to come listen to this guy. And you find in John chapter 4, 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what? Because of the signs and wonders? Because of the miracles? No, because of the woman's testimony. 
He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. Miracles? No. Signs and wonders? Uh Uh-uh. But because of his word. These Samaritans are believing just on the word of Jesus. They didn't even need a miracle. They're just listening to his testimony and they're saying, this is true. This is of God. He's the Messiah. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. And then what happens? What happens is the councilman or the the nobleman The official, royal official, arrives. Think about that. He's probably been walking since daybreak. He gets there after lunch, early afternoon, asking around, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? I got to find Jesus. Probably out of breath. He's been walking uphill since he left. He gets there. He's desperate. He's a father who loves his son. Comes before Jesus and says, Jesus, you got to come with me. My son is dying. Now, this guy had connections. You know he did. He could have sent anybody. No, no, this is too important. I'm getting this done myself. Jesus, you got to come, my son. He's almost dead, Jesus. There's probably a group of Galileans that have gathered around him. Because we find that the first thing that Jesus says, the you in this sentence is plural. Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders you will not believe what a thing to say to a desperate father who's walked uphill in a walk that started in the dark why what my son's dying jesus looks at him and maybe some people surrounding him and with a plural you you all all of you have to see signs and wonders otherwise you're not going to believe He just came from Samaria where they just took him at his word. What does this father do? He doubles down. Sir, he says, sir, come down before my child dies. Notice what Jesus says, go, your son will live. Wait, what? No, I need you to come with me. You have to come with me and do something. And Jesus says, no, you have to just go believing something. More importantly, believing someone. Go. Notice what happens. Verse 49, the official said to him, sir, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. He went on his way. Taking that 20-something mile trip back with those words echoing in his heart. Go, your son will live. You think he doubted on the way? Maybe, I don't know. We'll find out what happens in just a moment. But haven't we all walked this path? Haven't we all faced a long, uphill, desperate walk that starts in the dark from time to time? And haven't we all breathlessly arrived at the feet of Jesus and put our hands on our knees and leaned over and tried to catch our breath and wipe the sweat from our eyes and said, Jesus, you got to come do something. Jesus, I need a miracle. Jesus, I need you to do something. Let me tell you, we all have those moments where we're like a Galilean. 
And Jesus is saying, oh, you want a miracle. You want a miracle, you don't, but you don't, want, you don't want the Messiah. You want signs, you don't want the Savior. You want, you want gifts, you just don't want the giver of those gifts. Who among us haven't walked that path? Who among us has not had that walk before, laid out before us? As Phil mentioned earlier, we all faced that over the last year, haven't we? I mean, we, we've, we've seen people struggle. We've seen people get sick. We, we've seen struggling in our society, in our culture, in our local community. We've seen it in our businesses. We've seen it in our churches. And it hasn't all, it hasn't all been easy by no stretch of the imagination. And we all have those Galilean moments, right? We need to see you do something, Jesus. Why don't you do something? We've all had them. I mean, I, just let you know, our staff has done extraordinarily well during this period. But let me tell you, it has not been without some Galilean moments. We've had a lot of people check out over the last year. We just kept leaning in, pressing in harder. We've had people say, well, when are we going to restart church? We never stopped, have you noticed? We didn't stop. It's just some of you didn't log in. We didn't stop, though. We were still going. You know what? And, and for me... For me, it's really been hard. Personal, personal testimony here. For me, it's really been hard. I've been having more Galilean moments since we've started restarting than I ever did in the middle of the pandemic, which sounds weird maybe, but I have. I have. We have, we have moments where we, you know, we're like, hey, we're reopening, everybody come back, you know, and you don't see a whole lot of people. And then you, you end up in the mall or you end up up in Jackson in a shopping area or you end up in Walmart or someplace and you see them and they're like, they're like we're going to come back as soon as we feel safe. I'm like, You're in Walmart for goodness sake. How unsafe do you think we are? You noodling around in Macomb. Come on now. Right? And then I, and then I look. And understand, this isn't, this isn't a bruised ego talking. This is a, a leader-defining reality. There's a difference. And then we have people that we hear. Oh, now, what we really need, we really need a parenting conference. That's what we really need. I want a parenting conference. We really need help with our kids. I need help with my parenting. We just want to do that. Okay, great. We got we to gotta, we gotta work this out so it's going to be most easily accessible. Let's do it on a Sunday. Let's just take all day Sunday and we'll just do a parenting conference. We'll bring in Gary Mays. We'll have a parenting conference. It's going to be awesome. We're going to do that. Promote it. Talk about it. Talk it up and everything. Parenting conference occurs. A whole bunch of people just don't show up. A whole bunch of people with kids. And then we get to the breakout sessions and the evening session, and you look around, you're like, where is everybody? Gary looked at me, and Gary said, you know, you could have made, instead of having eight breakout sessions, you probably could have had probably three. I said, it's sad, but it's true. We could have had one and fit everybody in one classroom. And, and, and yet, yet, we got people saying, oh, but, 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 but we need a break. We, we need this. We need this. We need this. We need this. We want this. We want this. And then we have it. And then what do we see all over social media? Well, they're, no, they're not here to worship God, but they're sure getting their kids to take a knee in the temple of travel ball. Oh, now you're meddling. I ain't done. And then we have secret church. We have secret church on Friday night. 
David Platt, now I know it's not for everybody. I get that. And I get there, a lot of people, some of you have contacted me, like, listen, I had this going on and that going on. I wanted to be there. I understand that. It, it's going to be available so you can, you know, we can get you a book. You can still register to the end of May and you can go back and you can rewatch it. I hope you do. You need to. Because it was amazing. It's the most powerful secret churches I've ever been a part of. David Platt speaking. We did a simulcast here, had snacks, had the whole nine yards. And right before it started, we had a local pastor and his wife show up to be a part of it. And he met me in the parking lot. And I said, hey, man, he looked around and he says, where is everybody? I said, that's my question. Because I don't know. I really don't know. We had two handfuls of people in this room listening to David Platt and, and, and learning about the last words Jesus said before he left earth. And I'm looking around going, my gosh, where is everybody? Where's our members? Where's our leaders? Where's our deacons? Where's our Sunday school teachers? Well, two of them were there. Where, where's, our, where's our small group leaders? Where's our committee members? Where are our people? Where are they? I'll tell you, be real honest, as if I'm not enough. Right at the beginning of Secret Church, I just got up, had to walk out for a second. I did. Just got up right at the very beginning, walked out, went over here in this men's bathroom, went in one of the stalls, closed the door, just stood there in the stall. I said, Lord God, this is, this, this ain't right. We need to wake up. This is not, this is not it. This is, this, we act like church is always going to be here. It may not be one day. We need to wake up. And I'll be very transparent. I said, Lord God, either do a work in this people and make them a people passionate for you or send me to a people who are willing to be passionate. I was having a Galilean moment. And you know what God did? That stall became a sanctuary. And the Lord God spoke as clearly as I've ever heard him speak. How do you know it was him? Because I've been listening to him for a long time. And number two, because what he said I didn't like. And God spoke really clearly. Yes. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, a whole lot of them. Yes, Dustin, a whole lot of them prefer a fish fry than coming and listening to Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. A whole lot of them aren't going to give you Till you get done with a sermon because they're going to get up and walk out before it's over. Yes, yes, yes. But it's not about you. It's about me. It's about giving it to me. Quit making it about you because it's not about you. It's always been about me. It always will be about me. You keep sowing my word because my word is sufficient. And he brought me back to the parable of the sower. And God just said, you sow my word. That's your job. That's your call. You sow the word. You know the story. The sower goes out to sow the seed. Some of it lands by the wayside and the birds come and snatch it up. Jesus said that's Satan snatching it out of people's hearts. The truth whenever they receive the message. He said some falls and the thorns spring up and choke it out. And he said those are the riches and the cares of the world. The distractions of the world that choke out the word. Some falls on stony ground and there's just a thin layer of soil and it springs up but there's no way to get a root and it dies and that's the people who receive the word and they're so glad at first but it doesn't take root and it dies and they, the word just deteriorates and withers under the heat of, tri of trials and tribulations 
but some falls on good ground. Jesus reminded me, you have spent way too much time, Dustin, trying to pull thorns and trying to root out rocks and break them up and trying to shoo off the birds. You are not a rock-breaking, thorn-pulling scarecrow. You are a seed sower. So sow it and let me take care of the rest. Like I said, I never thought that a stall could become a sanctuary, but it can. So I came back in here with a, with a heart that said, okay, okay, God, okay, I will do just that. I will believe your word. I ain't going to add to it. I ain't going to take from it. Because it's never a seed problem. It's always a soil problem. Always. Always. And always. And the soil of this official's heart was ripe to receive just what Jesus wanted to give him. That's the essence of Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Notice what it does not say. It doesn't say faith comes from seeing. No, it's not the seeing. It's the hearing of the word, the hearing of the testimony, and then saying, I may not see it, but I believe it. The official couldn't pick up the phone and call back to Capernaum and say, hey, how's my boy doing? Put him on FaceTime. Let me pull up Zoom. No, he couldn't do that. He went believing. Will you do the same thing? Will you just believe his word? Yeah, but when I wait, what if it's not, what if it's not, it is enough. Yeah, but what if some don't believe? There's going to be stony ground. What if some look like everything's going really well and then things happen and they just kind of, yeah, 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 there are thorns. Yeah, there are birds. Let's not negate the fact there are rocks and thorns and birds. There are. But there's also good ground. The secret of, of it is this. Sometimes you don't know what good ground is. You don't know what the good ground is. You just keep sowing. Just keep sowing. Just keep sowing. Because the word of God, the word of Christ is sufficient. So believe it. Not only that, the word of Christ has life it, or has strength. It gives life. Notice verse 51. As he was going down, he's headed back downhill. He's going to, I, I have in my mind, we don't know, we can't be dogmatic where the Bible is, is not explicit. But in my mind, I'm thinking he's going down, when he's going downhill, he's moving a little faster than he was whenever he was going up. But it ain't because he's just going downhill. I think this guy is anxious to get home. And we find as he was going down, his servants met him. Man, can you imagine that? Here's a desperate daddy going home to see his son believe in the word that the Messiah has spoken to him. He may be wrestling with that faith along the way. Maybe off in the distance, he sees those servants coming at him. Uh-uh. Oh, no. No, no. Uh-uh. No. No. Did they come in, are they coming to tell me, hey, you, you shouldn't have even bothered? Were they trying to catch up to me? What, what's going on? Notice, they told him his son was recovering. 
So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Yesterday at the seventh hour. What happened yesterday at the seventh hour? Yesterday at the seventh hour was when Jesus said, go, your son will live. I mean, we, don't, we don't have the, we have the parallel that is drawn here. I mean, I, I don't have any problem saying it wasn't just the hour. I don't have a problem saying, I believe it was at the moment. When Jesus said, go, your son will live. That fever broke some 16 miles away as the crow flies. His word has strength. It has power. And it has power to give life. And that makes sense. Because Jesus himself in John chapter 1, we don't have time to read all this. I gave you the references. In John chapter 1, Jesus is referred to as the word. We live by the word. The self-expression of God himself. You look back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The reason that we still draw breath, it's just because of the word of the Lord. That's it. And we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is the same thing that John repeats, the same idea later on in John chapter 6. Jesus starts telling the people who would be would-be followers. And he starts telling them, listen, this is what it means to follow me. And some of them are like, man, we, we like these miracles, but now you're starting to add like all these qualifiers. And you're starting to say we have to sacrifice. I don't know about that. Many of them start to leave. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you always want to leave too? You want to go? Notice what Simon Peter says. Simon Peter in John 6, 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go, Jesus? Your words sustain life. Why would we want to go somewhere else? Jesus had, some, had said something very similar in John 6, 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. That's, that's the beauty of God's word. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us the word of God is living and it's active. Do you know why the word of God is living? Because it's the word of God and God is the living God. And if God is the living God and we can go before him and we can listen to his living word, his word gives life. It's not just black and white words on a page. It's not just ink written on some paper. That's not what it is. We should, be, we should love God's word. We should love his word. And be, we should be growing in our love for his word. I love God's word. I'm on, I'm being on, I love God's word now more than I've ever loved it. I trust God's word now more than I believe I've ever trusted it. I know the strength of God's word now more than I've ever leaned upon the strength of God's word. I believe in the power of his word more than I've ever believed in the power of his word. I know his word is true. I know it's true. And so we can't afford to be spiritually lazy with God's word. Spiritual complacency kills more slowly than spiritual rebellion, but just as surely, we can't afford to be sloppy or lazy but with this word of God that gives life itself. You can take him at your, or at his word. Finally, 
word of Christ must spread because he's the savior of the world. It has to spread. We are, we are, we are given the commission to go and spread his word. It must spread. He's the savior of the world. Look at verse 53. The father knew this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. Now, wait a minute. I thought he already believed. He did. His household didn't, not yet, but he believed. And now he's believing even at a deeper level. His faith is strengthened even more. He believed the word of Jesus and now it's like absolutely positively. Yes, but the word must spread. We said we don't know what he is. We don't know if he's Jewish. We don't know if he's Roman. We just know he's probably wealthy. He probably has connections. But he understood in this circumstance, my connections aren't going to heal my son. My wealth is not going to make him well. I need something outside of myself. There is no one I can call on except for Jesus. And it spreads to his household. Regardless of the class, regardless of the wealth, regardless of the social title, regardless of whatever it is, the office that anybody may have, they're all in need of Jesus because Christ's kingdom is greater than any human culture. And now we end up with, with the word of God coming to them and they believe and it's spreading because Jesus is savior of the world. He's just spent time with the Jewish leaders. He's just spent time with the Samaritans. He goes back to the people in Galilee. He meets this guy who's of Herod's court. He is telling everybody that he comes in contact with, I'm the one, I'm the one, I'm the one. That's why we find in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Teach them my word. Why do they need to know your word, Jesus? Because it's trustworthy. You can believe it. Because it's, it's, it's what sustains us. It has strength. It has to spread. Are, are, you, are you living out that truth of God's word in your life? When you're facing, hey, when you're facing that long, uphill, desperate walk that starts in the dark. Or if you are coming back home in the light, downhill, with a promise waiting on you. Do you realize that that nobleman, that that royal official needed Jesus just as much on the return trip as he did on the trip to Cana? Nobody is exempt. We all need him. We need his word. And I'm praying that we will become a people who are so passionate about his word that nothing else, nothing else competes. Nothing else comes close. You can take him at his word. And I know, I'm going to close here, but I know some of you have been wrestling with whether or not you can truly trust what God says. Can I tell you, you can take him at his word. He is faithful. You take him at his word. Some of you have been sharing with people in your sphere of influence 
in your family, at your job, the people around you, and you hadn't seen any fruit. I know how that is. You keep sowing. You keep sowing seed. You keep sowing seed till he tells you to sow elsewhere or throw some over here or throw some over. You just keep sowing seed. Keep sowing. Remain faithful. And there are some of you, maybe here, maybe listening, maybe watching later. You may say, I don't know him as Messiah. I just don't know him. I've never decided to follow him as Messiah. I've never decided to follow him as the Savior of the world. I have all sorts of doubts, and I have all sorts of fears, and I have all sorts of questions about whether I can believe the Bible is true. Can I tell you, you can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him with your eternity. You can trust that the Bible is absolutely true about what it records, that Jesus lived a sinless life. Son of God came and lived a sinless life, died a death in our place on the cross for the sins that we committed and took a wrath that we deserved so that we might know God if we receive him by faith. What's faith? Receiving a report and then responding in the right way. We hear what God says, we read what God says, and we say, I believe it, and I'm going to choose to live according to that truth, that that is true. We repent, we turn from our sin, we turn toward Christ, and we surrender our lives to him, and he saves us. And there may be some of you right now that you've gotten about halfway up that climb to Cana, and you have said, I don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if it's worth it. Don't quit climbing. Keep going toward Jesus. And there's some of you that are, have gotten to Jesus, and Jesus is saying, go and believe my word. And you're saying, no, you don't understand. I need a miracle. You've you got to come with me. And Jesus is saying, you go, you go and believe my word. No, but it'd be a whole lot easier if you came with me. You go and believe his word. Take Jesus at his word. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. We come before you recognizing that your word is truth. And your word is living and it's active. It is alive and it is powerful to accomplish your purposes. And so, Father, we ask that we might be a people of your word. That we would wake up to the realities of your word. Live in the light of your word. And when we face those long, uphill, desperate walks that start in the dark, we recognize that you give us light for each step of the way by your word. Your word is a, is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It's not a floodlight that illuminates everything we're going to face for the next 5, 10, 15 years, but it gives us enough light to take the next clear step of faith. So, Father, I pray wherever anybody is here, wherever they are in that walk, if they wanted to turn back, if they've never started the walk, if they've, if they've decided that they, they've got to have a miracle, they've got to have a wonder, whatever it is, Lord God, 
if they're getting if they're getting concerned on the walk back and they're trying to think about maybe I should go back and double check with Jesus father I pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness to stand firm upon your word no matter what no matter what the world says no matter what anybody else says no matter what our own feelings say that we would hold true to your word and your word alone recognizing that it alone it alone brings life father i pray for anybody listening or here today who does not know you as savior i pray today would be the day they would say yes father i pray if there's anybody here that needs to say father god i just need to re i just need to surrender re-surrender just my life to your word whatever you say i'll do it wherever you say go i'll i'll go i don't want to be I don't want to be rocky soil. I don't want to have the, the word snatched away. I don't want to see thorns grow up. Lord God, I want to be fruitful ground. Lord, I pray you'd break us up and make us that fruitful ground. You do the work. So you get the glory. It's your increase. It's your word. It's your work. It's your glory. It's your plan. We're just part of it. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for loving us enough to send us your word. Not just your written word, but the word. The word who was with God and the word who is God, Jesus Christ. The self-expression of yourself to us so that we might know you. Thank you, Father. And we pray during this time as we respond in whatever way we need to, whether it's coming to coming to make a decision to follow you, whether it's coming to pray at the altar, whether it's coming forward to want to talk to someone about being baptized or join the church or any other concern, Father, we pray that you would give freedom in this time. And we ask this in Jesus' name.